This episode is brought to you by Stratosphere.io, the best web-based research terminal for company-specific metrics like KPIs and segment revenues. The service saves time, has a beautiful interface, and has the best data visualizations on the internet for equities. Now, our favorite features are the 10 years of data with data visualizations. This includes company-specific KPIs, charts for all the financial metrics you might be interested in, and stuff specifically for that company. So for example, if you're looking at a payments company, you might have take rates, you might have GMV. If you're looking at a marketplace, you'll have GMV as well. All that good stuff that can get you updated on your research process. If you want to get started today for free, go to stratosphere.io and start utilizing the powerful research terminal. Again, that is stratosphere.io. The link is in the show notes. We hope you'll join us on there today. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. We switched up the roles today, so hopefully it's uh, working well. But this is the CCM Investing Power Hour. This is the 25th episode, the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour uh, to go with the full name. And this is the show where Ryan and I the host of Chit Chat Money, go through whatever topics are on our mind. The only rule is that we have no preparation outside of Ryan's subtle background there, which I don't think we'll be talking about because there's no, no news from that company this week. But for all the, the small amount of people watching on YouTube, there you go. Um, yeah. And I guess just to do the quick pitch, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which we know the majority of people are, you can also watch on YouTube, which is linked in the show notes. Watch for free and participate with us. Ask us questions, all that good stuff. You can ask us questions in the comments. Heckle us about any of our takes in the investing world. Because I think if you make any take right now, given that almost all stocks, value, growth, whatever, are down 20, 30, 50% over the last year, um, we can all wellow in our uh, misery. But Ryan, this is, uh, I was thinking about it. This is about maybe the four or five year anniversary since we met Phil Knight, if you remember. That is right. That came to my mind. He was eating a Subway sandwich. Him and his boys were housing Subway sandwiches on this dirty table. And brewskis. They had beers in hand Uh, for anyone, maybe to provide some context for that story. Oregon football was playing Washington State football, which is the university in which we attended. And uh, we we saw someone who looked an awful lot like Phil Knight. And we thought, is that Phil Knight? And we I think you said it out loud and he picked up his head and like looked at you as you said that, but his name tag had his wife's name. So I don't think he wanted to draw attention. So it said like Penny Knight or something like that. And uh, well, it was him. We uh, we went over. We got a photo. Um, I think his friend did bunny ears behind one of us. I've got yeah. that picture actually. I might be able to find it, but yeah. Anyway, 
one of the one of the goats, one of the OGs. And uh, a good thing they lost. The Oregon lost, so that was nice. Probably too. what the greatest retail brand of all time. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah. I just can't. Yeah. Well, maybe it, it depends if you broaden that out to food. So, but X food probably. But yeah, I, I thought say. I'd, you know, Brett usually, I'm usually in the office. And so not today, if you're watching this. Um, and I know by far the majority of our, our viewers are, are actually just listeners. So they're probably not going to care, but I, I, I don't go on a lot of hikes. So I don't have any cool backgrounds to throw up. So I thought I'd put this wonderful chart up. Of yeah. Dropbox's free cash flow per share. Yeah. I've gotten nice. some. So just to be clear, every time I talk about Dropbox's free cash flow and even their free cash flow per share, I get a comment that says something along the lines of, well, what about stock based compensation? So I wanted to wanted to point to it. The this per part share is very yeah. important. The per share. And as you can see, it's uh, it's trended uh, trended in the right direction over time. Yeah, nice, so, nice little pitch there. Subtle. Yeah, good good pitch for the company. Those are our homemade charts too. We do like to make the charts ourselves. So, still uh, not quite as good as Alex Morris's uh, charts, but uh, we'll get there. He does have the nice labels on there. Yeah. They are good looking. Um, if he could just give like a little chart tutorial on how he does it, that'd be great. I don't think it's a, a giant step process, but either way, uh, any news this week? It's been kind of boring outside of the Fed, which I doubt we're going to want to talk about because we really have no takes on it. It's probably something that people don't want to. Yeah, federal to. federal open market. The Federal Open Market Committee convened for anyone that's checked their accounts in the last few days. You probably know that. Um, not a whole lot. I never really get that much value out of actually listening to it. I get zero value. It's uh, Yeah, I don't think we even need to be the 10th thing that someone listens to this week uh, talking about the Fed. Here was a funny... Now, this could turn into a discussion, but I think it was quite funny. Um, Jim Cramer had a nice tweet. He was visiting Salesforce doing his due diligence, I guess. And he said, how fabulous is Dave Grohl live last night at Salesforce? Which I thought was quite funny after Jerry Capital, a friend on Twitter, uh, said, insert margin joke here for Salesforce's margins. Because I find, I don't know, looking at a company looking at their expenses, you're like, all right, what are they spending these operating operational expenses on? You know, what are these uh, employee costs going into? And apparently, at Salesforce, they find it necessary to have Dave Grohl, one of the probably most expensive musicians in the world, to get for a live show, playing for a small audience at at their headquarters. Right? <laughs> you have to, you have to masquerade profitability, and there's only really one way to do it. And that's to spend exorbitant amounts of money on, on things that are completely unnecessary. Yeah. Now, another story I saw from expenses, and maybe a little bit different than expenses, was the Business Insider report about Goldman Sachs. Here's the headline. Goldman Sachs insiders say they are concerned about CEO David Solomon's push to build his personal brand 
they point to staff help for his DJing. His DJ name is DJ Diesel. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm not joking about that. He is a real DJ. And use of the firm's planes, among other things. Now, do we need to get the hashtag trending free DJ Diesel? Because I think the man is getting... Uh, uh, what's the word? They're holding him back to his true potential because, you know, as a Goldman Sachs CEO, you really need to be working on this. This is what their expenses need to be going to is flying D- DJ Diesel out to the Bahamas, out to Coachella, to all I these think, great places. Yeah. I think if you're the CEO of Goldman Sachs, you probably ought to just stick to that. I guess there's nothing wrong with having a side hobby. But would not use maybe the, use your own private first. Use your own private jet. How about that? You probably have enough money. <laughs> Get the own yeah. rent. Rent your own private jet. What uh, uh, do you know? What what his genre of DJ music is? I didn't know there was multiple genres. I think it's like. Oh, I mean, you can DJ different kinds of. Oh no, he's like a DJ. Music. Like he's like uh yeah, he's not like a he's like a EDM DJ. I think. Oh. So like that, like that's li- like he's like the musician, quote unquote. I think it's always funny to like find out who these people are outside of their uh, their daily lives. I'm trying to get rid of my uh, my background here since uh, probably doesn't I don't even know. Forever. I don't even know if you can do that. You might have to. You might. Oh no! There you go. Did it work. Did it Technology. Work? Now you have the white background. Um, yeah. So um, DJ, D- so is it time to free DJ Diesel because he's getting held back here? No, I think he should ignore his side hobby. And, Isn't it uh, funny that he was telling everyone to come into the office? Like they had those really strict memos. Like everyone needs to be at the office at least five days a week because basically he was calling them giant wusses if they didn't. And then this is what he's doing. <laughs> Probably not surprised from an investment bank, but I mean, he did his time. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's such a bad way to put it, though. They're like, you did your time. I know. Like, it's like it's, bad. it's, it's like uh, it's hazing, hazing it's ter- in college. Yeah, yeah. Or terrible. It's like, co- yeah, I've been hazed. Now it's my turn to haze you. So, yeah, it's terrible culture. You don't want that. I mean, in college, who cares? But in in real life, um, yeah, you definitely don't want that. All right. Any other news stories? Well, we had we had a couple of really good deep dives this week. Was there anyone that, and some of these aren't going to come out until, uh, uh, some of these are going to come out afterwards if you're listening to this on whatever it is, Sunday, the, what would that be? 25th yeah. something like that it um, is a, yeah a sunday or monday a lot of people listen monday too of those was there anyone honestly there they've all moved to my watch list but is there anyone that's like uh you're kind of looking at further yeah let me let me preview them for anyone that doesn't listen to those shows we had build a bear out this week strat becker young guy really great pitch on them super cheap uh, then we had Jacob Franklin, who's an individual investor, writes to Seeking Alpha, talking Ally Financial, which is a bank that has done phenomenally well um, executional-wise the last decade. That'll be at the week after, most likely. And then we had Rich Howe. I gotta. I think I'm getting his name right. Apologies, Rich, if that's not your name. But uh, he does stock spinoffs. He kind of runs a service on that. And we talked IDT, which is a really small cap startup 
uh, not startup, excuse me, conglomerate that is really good at spinning stuff and optimizing value for shareholders. To be honest, I yeah, again, I liked all three. Build-A-Bear is extremely cheap and it's really interesting to see that brand kind of coming back with the activist investors. I don't even know if I can pick. Well, here's the thing. Ally looks promising, but financials are kind of in my no-go zone just because um, it's just not something I can understand and be aware of. I still think it can do extremely well. And Jacob gave a great pitch. I, I think IDT interests me a little bit, but their businesses that they own, eh, well, I don't know. They have such a strong track record that he laid out. So that, that compels me as well. I'm definitely going to be researching them. I think both Build-A-Bear and IDT are extremely interesting. Although I will say, all we really know about those companies is what um, we listen to in the interviews. So I'd have to do more work, but they all intrigue me. I mean, Allies just probably outside of a sector I like to invest in. Yeah, I'd probably agree. I'm not super familiar with kind of like perpetual spinoff companies. Um, but it sounds like IDT's got some value to be unlocked. I'm also, I've grown less comfortable, I think, with some of the parts valuations, even though in this case, often some the, the parts do actually get monetized. And so it can be a little more valuable. I like Ally. And I just, there's something about the actual, like excluding the auto lending. I actually kind of like the idea of the bank. Like, I, I think they have like good product market fit. I think a lot of people like the bank. Um, I don't know. I think they got a lot of the branding right, which it's Agreed. hard to be. I mean, obviously banking's competitive, but they've done a really good job attracting deposits over the last decade. And obviously it's slowed a little bit recently, but there is sort of that innovator's what do they call it? The innovator's dilemma, I guess, where they just have a structural advantage and are able to offer higher interest rates than the legacy banks, just given that they're, uh, they don't have to, they have less costs associated with running it. I, but I was also thinking there's times that I like having a physical place to go for my bank. Yeah. Like I've, had to, I've had to go in on occasion. It's rare. Yes, it's rare, but it can be helpful that time, the rare time that you need it. It's just not profitable anymore uh, because of how rare you need to do it, you know? And that's just going to continue to get worse and worse. Yeah, I mean, once, Ally, the notary, once the notary has been fully rolled out, I don't need anything notarized. Our, person. our, apartment, ten, our apartment landlords and the banks in some sort of cahoots to keep these physical branches open because they're the only ones that seem to not be able to get into the 21st century. Take this cashier's check for your security deposit and deposit it at your local teller. Like you need to sign with this. And like, can I just deposit some money electronically in an account for you, please? All right. Like our, my, the place I live now, I have to, uh, I can't uh, pay rent electronically. It's like we're living 20 years ago. Whoever I know. And now, Remember that busted SPAC slatch? That was their big pitches to help solve some of that stuff. Now they obviously overpromised. I got caught up in the hype a little bit. Uh, you didn't buy though. I didn't buy. No, 
I got caught up in the hype emotionally. I thought it looked promising. Um, but that's happened the type to, of happened to there, the best of us. With there all specs. is. Yeah. At least I think everyone got caught up in at least one spec. I think we all did one. That's just the, the market opportunity there just seems so like just easy, easy pickings because there's the, the value can be improved so much just by technology that already exists. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Quarter. Quarter is an all-in-one investor relations app that provides frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and more. With Quarter, investors can keep up to date with all their companies while on the move. I personally use it every earnings season so that I can keep up with my portfolio companies while I'm on my commute to the office. They also just released a cool new feature that allows users to search across all transcripts. That means you could search and see how many companies mention terms like inflation or cost pressure or recession or even metaverse, you name it. Uh, and the best part of all, the app's 100% free and it's on both iOS and Android. So go find it on your app store by searching Quarter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E. That's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, here's another topic though. Matt commented, uh, oh, he said the gotta... buyback machine, ally buyback machine. Yeah. They're buying back. It sounds like an incredible amount of stock. Uh, yeah, I Matt, believe someone said they're on pace to reduce share count by like 25% this year. Yeah. Matt, definitely check out the interview. that will be coming out next week. Jacob goes through it. He said basically that this year will be a bit heavier than usual, but they have, and the numbers could be changing just because of where the price is, but they have like a $10 billion market cap. And I think they returned 3 billion in capital to shareholders this year, but it, that'll probably be closer to 1 billion to 2 billion in between one and 2 billion on a steady state basis, which I mean, that's still great <laughs> to be honest, but uh, not, this is a little bit, you know, of a Goldilocks period for them. Uh, earnings Here's wise. the one thing though, how in the last two years, how many times have we seen companies announce buybacks that were just horrendously timed? Oh, like yeah. they, they, they announce a buyback and then their fundamentals deteriorate. Or, yeah. or yeah. they announce a buyback authorization and don't use it. Yeah, there's... Uh, it's just yeah. to promote the stock. Yeah, there's... The fact that a company even announces a buyback is... It's not like a red flag or anything, but it shows me that management maybe, or at least, I don't know, like I think the good teams will announce maybe a giant one or announce a perpetual one where it allows them to do as much as possible. But now sometimes they want that limit on there, I guess, from a board of directors perspective. But uh, if they announce like someone announces a small one and either it's ill-timed when your stock's overpriced or you actually don't utilize it, at the right when your stock's cheap, um, which it probably is right now. It, yeah, I mean, that happens all the time, I think, on average. And it's not surprising just because, on average, they're all, you know, humans as well. The 
uh, financial teams, the CFO team or whatever. They're all bag holders buy, as well. <laughs> they, no, they, they, they buy on average, they buy high and sell low on their own stock. The, um, uh, I mean, one, of our, one of our companies did it and they did it in like the most promotional way I've ever seen. And it really frustrated me. Just yeah. buy it back and be quiet about it. If it's that cheap, it'll show over time. And you don't want to be promotional about it because a lot of just times- show short term is like that just makes if they are promoting it like in this case one of the leaders board, or board, yeah, members board members said yeah. do you think we're confident about our stock question mark like tweeted it out basically and then like tweeted a press release of the buyback authorization it was like do you think we're confident about our stock i'm like if you were you wouldn't have needed to tweet this yeah, and you're a board member, so like you're not even. I, I what are you spending? Like, I know it takes time to be a board member, but maybe you're that's not. why is the board members have, they've got nothing to do. Yeah, like all year, and so they just sit there and just watch their own stock. I'm like, gl- I'm, gl- I'm like, glad. I'm on their hands. Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't an executive, but still not great. I'd love um, to be a uh, board of directors, like one of those board member free agents. You know, that's just on like. Like, oh, I'm I'm free, you know, I've got a lot of time. I'd love to join some boards, you know, hop hop around from place to place, collect your checks. I mean, some of those board members that don't do anything else probably make millions of dollars a year just sitting on boards. Yeah, you're that's it's a it's a good gig. I wonder if there's a limit to how many boards you can be on. Yeah, there was a I, I bet. I mean, it's just a time time concern. Uh, constraint, but there was there's a funny from the show Veep. Uh, it was funny. It was like I don't know. There was a Zoom call with a board member uh, or with a board meeting, and they're like not paying attention, not paying attention at all. And the vote came up on something, and they're like the the lady goes who's on the board looks at our assistant and goes, "What are we supposed to vote for on this?" And then he's like, "Oh, you're voting whatever it was, yes or no." And she goes, "Okay," clicks yes, and then mutes it, <laughs> and uh goes about the rest of her day all right there was a question that was kind of posed on twitter that i thought was interesting do you think amazon should buy either wix or squarespace oh that i have not thought of that before i don't think so i think they should just partner with them and enable buy with prime that's a better it's just a better, um, you know, what Wix and Squarespace are good at their job, which is website building. I doubt Amazon has that muscle memory in them, or it would be yeah, they don't have that sort of skill. And it takes it's pretty hard to build up that skill. They can both partner with Bio with Prime, use Amazon's best skill set, which is, you know, logistics efficiency. Uh, all the good stuff we know and love about Amazon or hate. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think it works more symbiotically if, and especially because if they buy one of them, then they, they, they're trying to do like an exclusive strategy. I don't think that works because of the market share uh, deal. And I, if you're Amazon, I think it, it, you win if you do buy with Prime at Wix, Squarespace, Big Commerce, um, Shopify, even. Be platform agnostic. Yeah, I think that's the smart move. And I I I don't know. I don't think I, I, I would not 
I, I doubt that will work out studying the website platform space. The synergies or however you'd want to describe it seem minimal. Yeah, I agree. Interesting thought though. Uh, uh, and I think those companies that are not Shopify will benefit as Shopify is trying to distance itself from Amazon if they can utilize Amazon's tools. Um, it, it just gives an advantage. I mean, I we've talked about this, I think, a few times on here already, so we don't have to do a 10-minute discussion on it, but the shipping is just such a headwind for Shopify stores. And if someone can get the same sort of customer uh, efficiency, the same sort of customer value proposition as Amazon on a Wix store, on a Squarespace store, on a big commerce store, I mean, that's a huge advantage versus uh, a Shopify store. And they're not going to be able to get to that two-day delivery <laughs> unless they want to, unless they... But they're the investing... Like a hundred million dollars, I know, or five hundred million, whatever it is. The yeah, unless they decided to sell whatever twenty billion in stock at the top, and then uh, dilute shareholders by what, like ten percent of that time, and then spend, you know, ten billion dollars building out a fulfillment center, they'd probably still lose, but maybe have a better shot. I feel like it's not even necessarily like establishing the geographic footprint. Like obviously that part is costly in and of itself, but actually. Cre- creating the level of efficiency that Amazon has is like a tough problem to solve, I have to imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, uh, it's the reason that UPS and FedEx have been so durable uh, for the last decades. Now they are in a tough spot because of Amazon, but I think it's telling that UPS has been around for so long and had minimal disruption. Maybe so, I'm overestimating how advanced some of these warehouses are, but it sounds like they sound like pretty remarkable accomplishments. And I've seen some of those videos, whatever, of the robots, but just <laughs> running around delivering packages. But yeah, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it doesn't matter that much. Maybe maybe Shopify doesn't have to become Amazon. Maybe they don't need the shipping. If it's, well, five, if it's four or five day business day, business day shipping, let's say, versus Amazon, which let's assume is two day. Is it that much of an advantage? Uh, I mean that that's okay. That's okay. But when multiple times it's been whatever the estimate and it takes two weeks, it's pretty frustrating for me. And I'm like, all right, if I get to that sort of company or not company, if I'm going back to that brand, I'm gonna go to Amazon because it's two weeks shipping is just it's way more inconvenient and the price will probably be lower <laughs> on Amazon or the same. So If you're listening to this ad right now, we know you're already a listener to our show. But for our avid listeners, we've also started a paid membership service called Chit Chat Money Plus that extends beyond just our podcast. Every Tuesday, subscribers get access to one not-so-deep dive research episode that covers everything you need to know about a company. You also get an email newsletter with our written show notes, important charts, a transcript of each show, and access to our Chit Chat Money research files. Chitchat Money Plus costs $5 a month. You can subscribe directly through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on another platform, click the link in the show notes to go through the simple steps of signing up. If you're a regular listener to the show, we think the membership will provide tons of additional value. On top of the stock research episodes, members will get one Arch Capital Fund episode a month where we outline why we bought, sold, or continue to hold a stock in the Arch Capital Investment Fund, along with shows on our broader investment strategy. Sign up and become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber today. We can't wait for you to join our community. All right. 
We've talked about that a lot, though, so let's move to something else, and that is YouTube's paying out money on shorts now. Now, maybe a lot of maybe some listeners that are older don't know what YouTube shorts are. I don't think I've even watched them. I just kind of seen the notes there. But here's here's a link from an article. Uh, like Instagram, YouTube has responded to TikTok with mimicry, which is just mimicking them. In 2020, they introduced Shorts, a format for vertical videos that has increasingly promoted in the company's app. Earlier this year, YouTube disclosed that Shorts had over 1.5 billion monthly viewers and told investors that it would bring ads to the format. Now, YouTube is sharing ad sales with creators similar to the standard YouTube videos. Uh, With Shorts, YouTube will only share 45% of its ad program, so 55% go to creators. Do you think... This is a smart move competitively to make it a better, more attractive for, uh, I don't know, who, who, whatever you describe these short form video creators uh, as to go to YouTube versus TikTok or Instagram, who I don't think pay out that handsome of royalties. Well, I, I honestly don't know what TikTok's like. Royalty, like I don't know what their revenue share is. Yeah, let me see if it's in this article here. But I don't. How do think people make money on TikTok? Uh, that might be a stupid question. But how do they make? I money think on it's. TikTok? I, I think you have to do organic ads, so you don't do ads. You don't get ads from them. I think. Don't confirm to me. I've never downloaded the app, but don't get that. Don't download it either. It's Chinese malware. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the it's true. But the. Either way, I, I don't think they're... I mean, they're in a little earlier in their life cycle from monetization perspective, but I think it's a smart move. And YouTube Shorts has done really, really well. Um, it's hard to tell. I don't have any user experience with it, but it's kind of interesting. Do you think that the reason they've done well is because of the kind of the data experience, the data advantage... I know people roll their eyes when they hear data advantage, but the data advantage Google has and the muscle memory of building billion dollar user enter, you know, features, you know, multiple times over the last decade plus. I it seems like it'd be like I don't know, it's just not surprising that they've done so well. And it kind of it shows I think again that people may underrate YouTube's I mean, ninety-five percent of what teenagers use it every day. Like YouTube's, how am I trying to say it? Durability might be an ability to adapt, easily adapt because of their advantages uh, as being a part of Alphabet. Might be underrated, even compared to someone like Instagram, who's obviously under, you know, the experienced Facebook brand as well. Yeah, I mean. To answer your question, yeah, I think they succeed because they have a lot of data, but also, I don't know, it's probably one of the most idiosyncratic businesses out there. Like, That's kind of a hot take, though. A lot of people think it's just fatty. I'm saying- I, spend a, I spend a ridiculous amount of time on YouTube, and I always have. Maybe, maybe some people have switched to TikTok, but... Obviously, some people have, but it still commands a whole lot of my day. Um, and the shorts, I didn't think there was ads in the shorts. No, there are now. There are now. Yeah. 
That, oh, that's only. Well, uh, <laughs> what'd you expect? I was watching those a lot because there was no ads, but now I got to just suffer through them. I don't get it. The you know, I bought YouTube. YouTube premium or I didn't buy it. There was like the free one month trial for YouTube premium because I wanted to test out the YouTube music. YouTube music is God awful. Probably one of the worst products I've ever seen. Impossible to navigate. Like it just totally confirmed all my biases as a Spotify shareholder. But the YouTube premium itself, I started to realize without the ads, I kind of take the content for granted. I feel like the ads are like, you got to earn the content. You got to sit through 30 seconds of stuff you don't want to see. When are you ever sitting through 30 seconds on YouTube? I never understand. I never get like a double 15 second ad where it's unskippable. I don't get that. And also like, I don't really see the gripes people have because ad like ad loads on old TV was what you'd watch for like four minutes. And on YouTube, what you get skippable ads, literally like in an hour video, probably eight of them. I don't see the concern. Like it's not like, I, I really don't get the, no, I, I just, no, I disagree. I think it's been absolutely, the, the ad load's been absolutely horrendous. They I'll get, I'll get 30 seconds worth of ads on like, let's say a five minute video, 30 seconds worth of ads at the start. Then I'm typically one of those people that's watching it on mobile. I'll skip through a lot. Like I'll, I'll click through to get to the point where I want to get, I'll get an ad mid roll. So maybe for the two minutes worth of watching that I'm doing, I'm getting 45 seconds worth of ads. Huh? I never get 30 seconds of ads. I don't know. I don't know what I'm lucky, I guess. I mean, you don't get like the one of two and it's like two 15 second ads. They're always skippable if it's that. So I never, yeah. I mean, it's, I think I know what you're, describing and I, but I think it's rare. I really have no interest in subscribing to YouTube premium, but maybe it's nice to have the option. Some people uh, really, really do not like the ad load. YouTube uh, TV though. It's quite nice. I spend a decent amount of time on there. I was also surprised to learn how much time is still spent on TVs. I don't know if you remember Zuckerberg talking about that on the Joe Rogan interview. It kind why, of makes sense to me. Why are you surprised? Just because mobiles become so dominant, people spend so much time on their phones. It kind of shocks me that people still watch a lot of TV. However, I think a lot more so now, it's background. Like it's just the most passive experience watching something on the TV. That's how it's always been. It's just background. And a lot of older households, it's on uh, in the evening is background. That's how it goes. I don't think that's true. I see a lot of situations where people are on the phones while the TV's going. So maybe we're double dipping. <laughs> You're double dipping. Yeah. That's well, why I mean, like 50 hours of screen time in a day. Yeah. Maybe there is that. All right. Uh, new topic. I don't really have much. Any no, Anything else on your uh, end? Um, no, I mean, stocks are down. And so oh, I guess here's something worth kind of chewing on. I see a lot of people, I'm kind of at this torn point right now where I saw, see a lot of, I don't want to say like my contras, but. Yeah, I, I hate that. That's all. It's too bad when people do that. Yeah. 
some of the investors that I don't model after, I guess, like some of the people who don't try to replicate their process, I see a lot of them kind of with just this very simple, the stock is down. I like the business. I'm going to buy more. And it makes me reluctant to do so with my own holdings considering, but they continue to drop. Is buying the dip like too simple of a strategy or is it the right strategy? Uh, yeah, I think I you could feel be like more sophisticated term on it that you're getting, you know. I feel like you go on a full circle. present value, but yeah, like you, I feel like you go on a full circle where uh, at the start you're like, stock's down, I like this business, blah, blah, blah. You probably, you know. You're, you're kind yeah. of a novice and you're like, I'm going to buy. Then you kind of learn more stuff and you're like, I need a differentiated view. I need, you know, what's the whatever, like the stock's down for a reason. The market's telling me something. And then full circle, you go, nope, you come back and you're like, after, I don't know, years and years, you're like, well, all of the other stuff we talk about is kind of BS. It's not really worth it to discuss. And at the end of the day, do I like the business? You probably know a little more like, all right, okay, yeah, like, look, we think that the company's going to generate a lot of cash or whatever. It's undervalued for X reason. And it's cheaper than when we bought it. We have cash. Let's buy. I don't care what the hell anyone else is doing. It's I just don't- a really sophisticated way of saying that, you know, we're, you buy the dip. Yeah, I mean, it's more than that, though, because you could say buy the dip on Tesla right now when it goes from a $900 billion market cap to an $800 billion market cap. People say that and they are wrong. And they will. I mean, okay, I think they're wrong. They might not be. I should rephrase that. But it's, a li- it's, it's not that much more complicated than that. And I don't look, look, looking at what other people are doing, I think is... Not that helpful. Not it's never. I I don't. don't, Well, okay. Unless someone really smart is buying the same stock as me, then it's just. (laughs) Then I was brilliant. It's a yeah. That 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 could be confirmation bias. It could be fun confirmation bias when you find out an investor you respect bought the same stock as you at the same time. Uh, But if you're looking at what someone is buying and like indicating your sort of sentiment or strategy or like something like that, I just feel like that's just not it's kind of not like nonsense and it's going to be unhelpful for you it's it's actually going to be probably pretty negative because you're not focusing on your like what's best for you you're 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 thinking of other people and they could be in totally different situations and it it's just not like investing is really at least for a personal account an individual endeavor and if you're in a fun in a in a professional setting it's for the group of people you're investing with. Yeah. The, I think we've gotten past the point now in what I'm seeing out of kind of just the, the investing ether, the I'm seeing less of it's down blank percent from its highs. Mm, I have seen less of that. Yeah. I think from about from down for anywhere between like down 30 to 40%, and 70 to 80% people reference that nonstop. After you get past down 80%, it's more, <laughs> I don't think this business is going bankrupt, so it's a buy. 
Yeah. And then what's the, uh, the most dangerous thing that ever happened was people talking was Amazon succeeding after going down 97% or whatever. Yeah. I think <laughs> I mean, that has sabotaged so many investors after the, in, in the following years. It's generated a trillion dollars in value for uh, shareholders since then. But how much has it lost from people referencing that as an N equals one scenario? Yeah. I mean, what's the cliche? I bet a lot of people listening to this have heard that this stat before, but what's a stock that goes from down 80% to down 90%? It's at down 80% and then it gets cut in half again. So if something is down 80%, it is down. It, it's down. Like when you first think of it, you're like 80%. Okay, fine. Like you, you don't think it's, it's actually much larger. Than you think, and then if it's something's down ninety percent, it's all—it's basically a zero. <laughs> I mean, like you need—if a stock's to, down ninety percent, you have to what have nine hundred percent returns to get break even. Assuming you yeah, bought it, whatever. Which need, even is even a that, need a ten because, bag, yeah. Like I do that. Okay, I'm doing it right now, and it's yeah. I think it's a, a mistake. You need a ten bagger. It does. The the old price doesn't matter. Yeah, the cost basis should not matter anymore. Um, like, like we're just going, we're just going through all the. If you can get good returns, yeah, yeah, no. Who cares if it's a ten bagger if it gets back up to where it is, or where I it was. saw that. I saw that. I know that people use the term mom and pop as pretty. Like, I don't want to say they say that like in a high and mighty way. They're like, oh, mom and pop is giving up, but they are giving up right now, according to the data. And it's just like, what, after, do, you mean, oh, what do you mean, mom and pop's giving up? Uh, the data, like the, there was some data coming out today about... Uh, like the average investor kind of thing or what? Yeah, individual investor is mom and pop. The, the, the same sort of... I don't know how they run the numbers. I don't have the survey, but basically account closures or inactive accounts or whatever are at the same levels as the 2000 bear market and the 2009 bear market. Um, could get worse doesn't mean that once we hit that level, it's going to get better. It could get worse, but I think that's a, I don't know, interesting data point. Not necessarily like, because like we talked about, it doesn't mean I'm like, oh, mom and pop gave up. I'm going to buy right now. But I think it's interesting that whether you learn market history or not, the the more, like even if so many people know about market history and, and the, the tendencies that people make and they had the data from you know where it was a mistake to give up if you're a mom and pop investor in 2009 and 2002 but they're still doing it you know what i think is kind of an iron like sort of uh i want to call it poetic justice but it's ironic that so I, I've, I've grown to appreciate the wealth effect a little more and, and the impact that it can have on spending, which at Ane- first- Ane- Anecdotes or just kind of thinking about it? Just thinking about how tight people are with discretionary spending when their portfolio comes down a bit. Um, or down 50%, you know, suddenly you're probably a little less spendy. Uh, and this this might be like a roundabout way of saying it, but I, I there was a part of me that experienced a little bit of schadenfreude when people lost money on crypto. 
you know, oh, yeah. it's kind of like a, you know, hopefully they're learning their lesson situation. However, if, if the crypto losses created uh, a, a reduction in consumer spending because of the wealth effect that impacted my stocks, I think it's almost in a sense poetic justice because the schadenfreude I felt for them losing money actually kind of reverses. And, yeah. and I lose money because of it. So, yeah. Well, if the CEOs are buying back, then in the long run, you were making money. But that, you know, just got to extend that time horizon. Yeah. But like yeah, we said, like, like we said, there's that rare company executive team that is actually good at buying back their own shares. And if you find them, hold on. What's the best buyback company of all time? Probably AutoZone. Probably AutoZone, yeah. Or uh, actually, scratch that. AutoZone's great, but there is the Outsiders book. Who was it? Teledyne starts with a T. Yeah, it starts with a T. They they were really good at using their stock, and then they bought back ninety percent. Um, What's his name? Who's the know. guy that running? Who's running it? That's like a kind of a legend. I uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I forget his name. Oh, I'm gonna look it up. The uh, the bummer is you can't have a, you cannot have a good, that good of a business in order to be good at buying back. Because if you have too good of a uh. business, I think people will value you too highly. Your buyback will be less accretive. So you could have a really good management team, but if the business is too good, the buyback will never be quite as accretive. Yeah, and if it's such a durable one, um, Coca Cola comes to mind there, where it's probably better actually that they pay out dividends. Singleton Henry Singleton. Oh yeah, Singleton. All right, here's a headline for you. Is this the fastest sell signal you could ever see? Uh, I don't even know what this news website is. Beyond Meat COO arrested for biting man's nose near Arkansas Razorback Stadium. Now that's ironic because of the fake meat company, but how easy of a sell signal is that when an executive team, you know, member that you are supposedly trusting is literally like should be in a psychiatric ward. Yeah. And I saw that picture of him and I, I mean, I think pretty much any executive with a mugshot is probably not going to look great, but for, I, I think a mugshot is like the least, uh, it makes well, it yeah, they, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was looking but, at that thinking like, how, could anybody believe in this executive? Um, Do they have net right now? They have. Net, I think it was a timing thing, but they had negative gross margins and declining revenues right now. It's not negative. A, it's not a decline. It's. I don't think it's that much of like a timing thing. I've been kind of following them on their earnings reports, and that business is. I don't want to say completely screwed because I might be eating my words eventually here. You're gonna um, be eating your bugs eventually here. Uh, sorry. I mean, they are, they're having to discount the shit out of all their products just to sell through. Yeah. And they're saying that consumers are trading down in proteins because of the recession. They're going but back to meat. Meat prices are up so much. I know. I thought they were supposed to be more insulated. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. I don't know. It's a little hard to read. Um, we do have a we comment. Have- Asking about IC, huge discount to the net asset value. Uh, uh, I don't know. 
that is a good question. We did a write-up on them. I know there's plenty of write-ups out there. Some of the, a lot of them are behind a paywall, though. We have a free one on our website. I would say check that out. It's not super comprehensive, but yeah, uh, I would. You know, it's a holding of ours right now, so definitely go check that out. We wrote that up at a higher price, uh, so yeah, I would uh, definitely check that out. We have had this argument or debate, healthy debate, before around the operating businesses. I'm personally not in love with some of those operating businesses that they have, but you seem to be a little more optimistic about it. What mm-hmm. get, If you were just buying those operating businesses, and for any listeners that aren't familiar with IEC, they've also got some equity stakes in other businesses that are certainly worth yeah, a lot of money. MGM's yeah. the largest, but... It's hard to go through everything in an audio format, so just look it up yourself. There's a lot well, of multiple. Well, it's hard because they're not like at a certain. What, what would you? What price would you be willing to pay purely for the operating businesses? The operating businesses. Mm, that's tough. So you basically have you have search, which is probably worth like four times earnings. Probably value at that at about let's be conservative, three hundred fifty million dollars. That's kind of this really, really old tech business that they're running for cash that'll probably be gone in a couple of years. Say $350 million, uh, Dot Dash Meredith. I kind of want to run them off of a sales multiple because I know what margins they said they can get to. Gosh, I don't have their revenue numbers in front of me though. I think so. They said they can get to a 30% margin, adjusted EBITDA margin on that. Now, I would probably discount that because of the adjusted EBITDA margin, while probably healthy from converting to cash flow, they also did, they don't have their corporate overhead expenses there, which can make their individual businesses look a little bit better. Um, so maybe they can get a 20% true earnings margin on Dot Dash Meredith. And gosh, what's their revenue number? I don't have it in front of me. I don't know. Uh, let's say it's. Three, sure. I think it's three billion, three billion, something like that, with the combined number. I think. Look, I think they can get to probably about the reason I'm saying about three billion and then the twenty percent margin is a kind of is a roundabout way of saying they can get to probably five hundred million dollars in earnings within a couple of years. I'd probably value that. I think twelve times earnings is fair, given the businesses and. The, the historical growth rates and the durability of the brands, People Magazine, Better Home and Gardens, Investopedia, been fairly durable businesses. I mean, Investopedia a little less, it's a little newer of a company than People Magazine, but still. Um, and what would that be? 500 times 12, 6 billion market cap. So then you, add, you have care.com and a lot of the startups. I don't know what to value those at. Let's say, why don't we just add on and say about seven and a half for the operating businesses? There you have it, folks. That is the. Uh, <laughs> but that was side. all. I could be forgetting something there because I have none of my notes in front of me. Uh, and also, it could be wrong because the numbers look pretty bad right now. So that's the reason the stock's down. All right. Well, hopefully that helps. I guess read it, read, yeah, he, he's, our, asking, he's asking, why do you think it trades? Oh, why? Oh, I guess oh. I, I didn't read that. Uh, why? Oh, is that's what that's why. I just I think I just answered it. The numbers in their biggest operating business look bad. 
Yeah. They look really bad right now. And they kind of said they would. They're ripping out the band-aid of these old infrastructure, tech infrastructure on stuff like People Magazine's website. And they're saying they're going to get better ad loads and go through this whole model and stuff like that. Uh, but they kind of hit a double whammy with advertising on CPG spending, which they were pretty exposed to, hurting really bad in the summer. So it makes the numbers look really bad. They say they're going to recover. But right now, investors do not like what, inve- you know, they do not like ex- executive teams that are saying, look, the numbers don't look that good right now. But a year from now, two years from now, it's going to be fine. They hate those businesses and they, they you know, people are going kind of to, what do they call that? The flight to safety. Um, which from my point of view, not specifically talking IAC, but that kind of tells me, and I know we talked about not looking at other people's sentiment, but, and having that driving your investing decisions. But if a lot of the companies where, you know, they're not earning right now, but they had promising unit economics, or there's something hurting them, these current, this quarter or the next few quarters, that's going to make the numbers look worse than they actually are. And that's driving the stock to fall 60, 70%. I mean, that could be a fantastic buying opportunity if you believe in the long-term thesis. Yeah, long story short, uh, not a lot of love for the operating businesses. So that's probably why kind of trades at a discount to NAV. What do you think about Callaway officially changing its name and ticker? It used uh, to be E-L-Y as in, I believe it was... The, that was the, his, guy, the guy that yeah. founded its last name was Eli, if I'm not mistaken. Or his last name was Callaway, and that was his first name. Yeah, I think Callaway. Was his last name Callaway? Let's, let's confirm, but you go ahead and keep going there. Anyway, they changed their ticker now to Mod G, M-O-D-G. And I'll be honest, I had no idea what that was for the longest time. I thought, man, that's a really ugly ticker, Mod. Um, and they've officially changed their name to, to Topgolf Callaway Brands Corp or something like that. Oh, I'm out yeah, on both of those. Top Golf Brands Corp. Um, but Mod G stands for Modern Golf, if I had to guess. Yeah, I think you're right Should there. that drive some multiple um, expansions, the new ticker? I know. Um, how about we just don't focus on the names because no one's like going to go to Top Golf now because you changed your name on your corporate. You know, I, I what's the best performing stock of all time? We all know it. Berkshire Hathaway has nothing to do with the companies that underwrite it. I think um, it's not a red flag or anything, but if you're focusing on tickers and your company name... Expand that multiple somehow. I hope... Why be a legacy company when you can be modern golf? That is... That that alone (laughs) should drive some investor sentiment. They have have Angry Birds. They do a very good job. We just covered Rovia. We're covering Rovia this week, So, and that's the maker of Angry Birds. They got Angry Birds at Top Golf, so that's. Have you played? Angry Birds or Top Golf? Angry Birds at Top Golf. No, I've rarely been to Top Golf, unfortunately. Sorry for the shareholders, uh, but here's it's quite a, the equalizer. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's an equalizer among the bad and good golfers because you don't have to have a very good shot to knock the pigs off their pedestals or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> I I was pretty good at at that part. That was probably my favorite game. Yeah, I, I, if I was a shareholder of Callaway, I would be hoping that they did not spend on consulting fees to, for this name change and ticker change. Let's give McKinsey, they need to, they are going, you know, they need some help. Let's give them a million dollars for some 
Adderall out 24 year olds and they can come up with a presentation about why we should change our ticker to Modge and how it'll help with shareholder value. It's an ugly ticker. It is an ugly ticker. Did they even do a press release about it? Because I was not sure what the hell it was. Yeah, I just saw it one day. I was like, what is this company on my watch list? <laughs> it is pretty bad. I yeah, don't know what I, I don't know what's bad about it, but it's bad. That's I, I don't know. Eli was a great ticker and I checked it that it was Eli Calway was his name. Uh maybe a little oh, bit some press releases. Where are we? Press releases. Yeah. That'd be funny if someone just changed other people changed the tickers to the companies to the CEO's or founders name. Yep. Like Buffett B U F F could be Buff. <laughs> Or be a great ticker, yeah. Z- that would Z- be quite Z- the late Z- change for Buffett. I, I would not see that coming. Yeah, uh, they yeah, needed. So they, well, they, they, they did have a press release. They had uh, Callaway Golf Company announces plans for new corporate name, all caps, Top Golf Callaway Brands Corp. Uh, if they spent money on a consulting fee on this, I would actually. That's a that's a huge. I, I'm not joking. That's a sell signal. <laughs> Company to change ticker to Mod G, reflecting its leadership in the much larger, more dynamic, and inclusive modern golf ecosystem. Great. Listen, That's, sell, sell more clubs, get those uh, comp sales up, and uh, investors will be happy. Yeah, or just top golf comp sales. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, we're catalyzing shareholder value. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's just, that's just, it's just all fluff like. <laughs> You know, it's like we were watching and spoiler, we don't want to spoil the Rovia Entertainment show that we're going to be doing. But I was watching their Capital Markets Day, which is just, I guess, an, an investor day. And they were talking about all the things they're going to do. They even brought out their sustainability officer. They're a $400 million company and they have a head of PR there in this big auditorium. And they're like, look, we're, we're doing great. You know, like we have all these things going. And then I, after that, I went through the numbers because I run the chart, you know, I do the charts and kind of plug it in the data on the Excel sheet and they haven't grown in five years. And I was like, look, if we stop with this auditorium, if we stop with the sustainability officer at a $400 million company, uh, you know, maybe you take the head of PR, take her salary, hire some more developers. Maybe we could drive some top line growth here, but um, look, like you can talk, uh, I I don't know. It's just kind of, and that Callaway thing reminded me of how companies just love talking a big game about their strategy and so many. It's all fluff and they actually fail to execute. Yeah. I I mean, definitely breezed right past the sustain, sustainability slides. Um, all right. I'm seeing something right now that's interesting. So Shopify is back to where it was at in like 2019, the stock. Um, Vindication. We were finally right. <laughs> Most of their executives continue to sell the stock. Yeah, I, I kind of see that. You know, I I can see why people think that's a a da- like a negative, but a lot isn't that a lot of it. Like, I know there was the big thing with Elon's one month ten whatever those things are ten B one plans, the pre trading plans where he did it only a month before and it was right at the top of Tesla. I mean, I can see why people were upset with that. But most of those are like a year in advance. So yeah. I would check those form fours on the SEC filings because a lot of the times it's just force selling because they decided to sell a year ago. They just had to plan it in advance because of SEC rules. Can you not call off those sales though? Like if you thought the stock was undervalued? 
I am unsure uh, about that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, other news. We got like four minutes. The FTC, yep. the Federal Trade Commission, is taking aim at gig companies, the gig economy. Basically, they're saying that the algorithm algorithms are not transparent enough. Um, what is a gig economy company for the listeners? Well, they are... For example, it's like Uber or DoorDash or uh, Lyft. Basically, you're paying your, I don't want to say the word employees, you're paying your independent contractors on what is a per gig basis. Essentially, it's variable compensation for completing like gigs um, as opposed to paying them like a fixed salary. Um, But anyway, the... I wanted to make sure I pull this up. Yeah. So in the press release, they said protecting these workers from unfair, deceptive, and anti-competitive practices is a priority, and the FTC will use its full authority to do so. It sounds like because there's all there was already the California state uh, policy or, or action that they tried to take place to classify these workers as employees as instead of independent contractors. Now it seems to be the federal government taking aim at it. Are you in favor of that? Oh, that's a difficult question. I don't know. That that's a tough that's a tough question. I have better I think I have more uh conviction on another take, which is that this type of risk makes the stocks in the gig economy absolutely unownable. Um, because it could have just terrible risk for their margin. Second, it, now this might be some upside for the economy companies. Is this feels a bit like Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day, where you could have been reading that reading that headline. That could have been from 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. I mean, I've heard this stuff for years. Nothing has really materialized. So I would doubt is going to materialize again but i still think the risk is there like <laughs> i think my biggest pet peeve with it is just that there's such a lack of transparency around what drivers get as a percentage of like like what is the company taking versus what are you taking it's not fixed all the time there's different bonuses that are set in they use like these different algorithms and there's no transparency so they have but they're pretty much in the dark on this. Yeah, I know. And it's fine if consumers are in the dark because that's kind of what you're paying for is that, you know, at New Year's Eve, it's going to be more expensive. But for the drivers, it that I would be very upset if I was a driver. Yeah. And there, I would love to know. I would, you know, tell me. I'm your worker. Tell me what, what my cut is. I'm a little torn because I know it provides people maybe jobs that otherwise wouldn't be able to work. Yeah, that's why I had no good take on it. Yeah. Yeah, it it provides some flexibility. But I met an Uber driver the other day, who is borrowing the car from Uber. So Uber buys the car. You're driving. You're you're riding Ubers with stocks at these prices. Come on, we got to be saving money. We got to be. This was like pitching. this is like three weeks ago. This is before that. Oh. <laughs> but yeah. the uh, and we're running out of time here. So they, she basically leases the car from the company pays i think it's 1500 a month to uber to have the car and then she has to drive essentially to meet that 1500 quota she's barely squeaking out enough money to like 
live on this. And I'm sure there's a lot of drivers that are in the same boat. Yeah, well, Uber's got to make margin. Come on. All right. We got to support, you know, they're, they're having a tough time as well. If that's how Uber makes margin, then. Well, here's I mean, an idea. Fire some people. <laughs> yeah, fire some people. Fire the 30,000 employees you have, which is ridiculous. I know. It's, uh, didn't we look at them for not? Yeah, we looked at them for not. Maybe that's why that. they don't want to classify them as employees. They already have too many. Yeah, I know. It's so bad. All right, but that's going to have to do it. It's 101. We went a little late, but I think it is fine. Well, we set the schedule here. So let me see. A little advertising pitch. Check out our not so deep dives. Those are paid. We'll have the advertisement within the podcast format, but check those out. Best way to support the show $5 a month. There's some free in the back catalog that you can see what the format looks like. Check out those interviews that are going to be coming out. Fantastic with some new young analysts coming on the show, or one of them, two of them are young, rich, more experienced, runs uh, his own stock spinoff thing. And if you are listening to this, watch it live on YouTube every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and ask us some of these questions. Basically, we treat it as an AMA if there are enough people joining us. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 